Hello, my name is Chris Clare and welcome to our first podcast on the Saturday Free Network, Two Defeats from a Crisis. On this episode, we're going to be doing a report card on Rangers' season so far. And because of the time of recording, it's one year of Geo, we'll be having a look back at the year Geo's had with Rangers. Joining me to do this is my good friend, Eddie. Eddie, how are you doing? Evening, I'm good. I'm uh, really excited to be on the first episode of our new um, show on a new podcast and I think it's aptly titled considering where we're at at the moment so should be a, a bit of uh, catharticism in this episode for us. I was going to say Eddie I think that's where the excitement stops the fact that you're on the podcast because the topic matter at hand isn't going to be very exciting but um, I'm sure we I'm sure we're going to revisit some points of this season and last season, which um, there is a few highs in there, but it's it's mainly scattered with the lowest of the lows. Um, Joining Eddie um, and myself is also producer Andrew. How are you doing, Andrew? I was about to say, how are you doing, producer Andrew? But I don't actually need to put that title in front because I know you. So how are you doing, Andrew? Uh, Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm uh, not looking forward to this, really. Uh, it's not been a particularly great uh, half of the season, but there's definitely some value to be had in um, having a look back at how we got where we are. Um, so should be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. We'll try and predominantly uh, focus on football matters without going to the off-field stuff too much, but I reckon that theme won't really continue because it just takes one thing and it'll trigger Eddie and then Eddie will bring up the fact that um, Stuart Robertson is completely out his depth and then before you know it, we're all raging and sweating and wanting blood, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But just before we, we get into it, obviously, um, we all left the fourth official that um, we're, we're, we're standing on their own feet now, so I would urge anyone listening to this to like uh, or subscribe to our channel on Spotify and Apple. We've also got a website, but it's I kind of um, no disrespect to you, Andrew, because I know you've put a lot of work to it. So please don't take any disrespect to the fact that I'm going to call it basic. We're working on it. Um, we're hopefully going to improve that over the next couple of weeks. Um, and we've we've also got a Twitter channel and a YouTube channel as well. So again, any kind of output that we put out there, um, if you could like or subscribe or both, just so that obviously you're supporting us. Um. Because doing it on our own now, uh, there is no financial incentive for us. We're, we're not, we're not getting the the begging bowl out asking for subscriptions or money. This is purely a labour of love for us. Um, and also, uh, I may as well go through the, the other guests who'll be on throughout the well, let's let's hope throughout the years. Um, we'll obviously, get Dave, Tom, Kenny, and Scott who are not with us, and there'll be one or two guest contributors. So, Andrew, I don't know if there's anything I've missed there that you want to add in. I, I think I covered it. No, uh, we'll be uh, putting up all the links uh, that Chris mentioned there in the description, including to our horrible, terrible, basic website. Um, and uh, <laughs> what we'll also be doing periodically is releasing some of the old stuff that we used to do on the fourth official um, from the archives, some of our interviews with uh, some of the big names. And uh, we'll also be resuming the Whose Team Is it Anyway series. But to get everyone up to speed, we'll first be releasing all of those episodes from the archive as well. So uh, plenty of content coming up for you guys to look forward to. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's get into this then. So as I said, it's a kind of report card. We'll start with the season at hand first and then we'll finish up talking about Geo, uh, a year in charge. So... We've been in three competitions so far this season. Obviously, the fourth competition, the Scottish Cup, will will start after the, the World Cup break in January. So up to now, we'll start with the league. We're nine points behind, um, which isn't great. In fact, it's almost disastrous. 
we're at the point, I would say, um, just a quick comment from the two of you guys. We're at the point where it's not completely gone, but we're almost at that stage. Would, would you agree with that, Eddie? Yeah, I'm I'm never quite ready to throw in the towel until it's completely done. But I will say I would be surprised if we're able to turn it around, especially without much change going on. Are you any more optimistic than that, Andrew? Uh, I mean, it's difficult to say. I think when you get to the stage of the season where you're already saying we've got to beat, we've got to win every single old firm that's left, then it's it's already tricky, especially in November. Um, couple that with you know our list of injuries and uh, the fact that we still don't seem to have a style of play. Uh, it doesn't look promising, but there's been too many uh, weird finishes to Scottish leagues. Um, you know, in the in the time that I've been watching it, to ever write it off. So I wouldn't completely rule it out. But as Eddie says, uh, prognosis does not look particularly great at the moment. We're also in the League Cup still. Uh, we got to the semi-finals there. Um, I think it's best to describe our League Cup campaign this uh, thus far as sort of stumbling our way towards the the semi-final. We've had two favourable ties, both at home, Queen of the South and Dundee, where uh, it's it's just been quite a, a horrific watch, even in that competition. Um, really can't put my finger on why we're unable to blow teams, um, lesser opposition teams such as Dundee and Queen of the South away. I, I don't know, but I'm sure we'll get into more kind of in-depth analysis about our performances soon. Uh, the Champions League, which was the one kind of shining bright light for us uh, at the start of the season where we overcame USG and PSV, um, particularly PSV, that was the quite the unexpected result. Um, obviously drew two each at Ibrox and then we went away to Holland and beat them 1-0 to qualify for the Champions League for the first time in 12 years and then the Champions League campaign itself um, Rangers were confirmed to be the worst ever participant um, in the Champions League uh, era, uh, six defeats um, and do you know something I've not even written it down how many goals we conceded, I know we only conceded two so it was a pretty pretty horrific uh, campaign coupled by the fact that we had our worst ever home defeat at Liverpool 7-1 so that's the kind of status in terms of the competitions. We're out of one, which isn't really a surprise, but I feel that we could have performed better in the Champions League. Um, we're almost out of the other, the league, and we're still in the League Cup. We're in the semi-final. We've got a game against Aberdeen coming up after the World Cup. So let's start with the kind of the more... Uh, it's, it's really difficult to describe. This is positive because it certainly was a positive at the time, but it turned into be an absolute nightmare. So let's start with the Champions League. Eddie, um, obviously USG beat us 2-0 um, in Belgium, and that was a kind of shock to the system. I have to ask you, Eddie, should that have been the warning signs right there that night in Belgium that maybe this team just isn't as good as maybe some thought? Um, and by some, I don't mean the fans, because I'm not going to pretend that we're more clever than the fans. I actually include a lot of us podcasters. Um, I think we all, the, the consensus that night was we just had an off night and we would turn that around the Ibrox, which we did. But what were the warning signs there that particular night for you? Yeah, I think in reflection on it, um, you're absolutely spot on there. The warning signs were there. We, we all kind of came away from it a bit shell-shocked. We were surprised we'd lost especially in the manner we did, because we were absolutely horrendous in that game. But we kind of viewed it as a, okay, that was a, a, a bad performance, shake it off, move on to the next one, we'll have to beat them at Ibrox and, and kind of take it from there, which obviously we did beat them at Ibrox. 
But in all honesty, looking back and looking back over the season, that game away to USG is kind of who this team is. Yeah. In, in all honesty, and the the kind of overcoming it and beating them at Ibrox, and then the two games against PSV are the actual outliers of the season, and they're the kind of uh, not one-offs because there was three of them, but you know what I mean. They were the the kind of occasions where we some somehow dug deep and had a, a result that wasn't typical to actually where this team is. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Andrew, what's your thoughts on it? Um, should we have been more al- alarmed by that result and performance that night in Belgium? Um, because as I said, I think the general consensus was it was an off night and we'll, 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 we'll probably turn this around when we get to Ibrox because we know Ibrox will be rocking and USG don't have great experience at playing at venues like Ibrox when it is at full capacity and the full teams behind uh, the full fa- uh, the full stadiums behind the team. Um, to me, I think it's easy to call it naive with hindsight, but it certainly was a naive mindset to have because I believe, um, just as Eddie's saying there, that we really should have been more worried than we, than we were by that result. Uh, well, I mean, for me, I think if you'd asked me in the moment, um, the 2-0 defeat away wasn't a massive alarm for me because I'd, I'd seen this team, you know, turn that around Um you know, in the past, you only had to look at our um, Europa League run the season before to see how we could overturn defeats away from home and turn them into magic nights at Ibrox. So I think at the time, um, I just put it down to one of those things. You know, we'd obviously achieved something very special the previous season um, in that run. And that came with some defeats away from home. So I think it's fair to say that, you know, I, I wasn't massively concerned at the time, but I think as you guys have said, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back and kind of realise, yeah, um, it, it was it was concerning the way that we were so easily cut open by a team with the greatest respect. We should be comfortably easing past. Yeah, absolutely. We then obviously get past USG, which I, I don't think that was a fluke. That was grit, determination and heart. Um, I, I think that was all evident in that night at Ibrox where we overturned a two-goal deficit into a 3-2 win um, to then obviously qualify for the Champions League playoff, which was um, a massive achievement for us, really. We hadn't been at this stage um, probably since Walter. Uh, because Walter qualified for the Champions League three times in his second spell. Twice was automatically the first time we had to go through something like we went through this year. Um, so we, we got there and we got a very difficult tie in PSV, probably one of the more difficult ties we could have got. Um, obviously, before the game against PSV, where we had to negotiate against USG, we knew already our fate was PSV or Monaco. So we knew whoever it was that we're going to be playing would be a top quality team. That night, Ibrox, it was two each. Uh, to be honest, I think PSV were probably the better team that night and I didn't hold much hope for going over to Holland and, and getting a result. We did obviously go over to Holland and we did obviously get a result. It was probably the most complete performance of the season. Um, even now, up to this point, it probably was the most complete professional performance that we had because obviously when... Antonio Cholak got that goal. Rangers just looked so comfortable and we shut that game down very, very well. And yeah, everything was looking really good at this point because if we can bring the league form into it, we still obviously, I think at this point, we'd only really dropped the, the two points to Hibs um, and there was obviously mitigating, mitigating circumstances to that. 
with the two red cards and then Hibs got a goal literally on the very last kick of the ball. So it was almost a perfect start in the league, coupled with qualifying for the Champions League. We were all on a, a massive high. But instead of asking you, Eddie, I'll come to you first, instead of asking you, Eddie, how amazing was that? I'm going to ask you a kind of different question. Was that probably, again, with the benefit of hindsight, one of the worst things that could have happened to us is qualifying for the Champions League? Yes. Um, so interestingly, it, it makes me think back to when Walter led us to the UEFA Cup final in 2008. And then obviously the next season, we didn't really properly invest um, in the qualifiers and then got knocked out. And then that kind of caused the, the kind of last minute investment that we brought in Stephen Davis and whatnot. I think by qualifying for the Champions League, the board kind of viewed that as job done. Um Obviously, as fans, we won't want to hear that, but ultimately everything that's happened since then, um, up till now, and the total inaction in, in this break, just screams to me that once we qualify for the Champions League, the board just viewed that as job done. This season's been a winner and we're happy to take it from there and we can just rest on our laurels and, and we've seen what's happened there. We've ended up getting left behind. Yeah, Andrew, I mean, at the time, if we were knocked out by PSV, I would have been you know, mightily disappointed because obviously we, we, we've all craved that, you know, night at Ibrox under the lights, Champions League music playing, top quality opposition coming over um, and then basically seeing what happens. We, we, we craved that for 12 years. But I have to say, you know, if we were knocked out that night and automatically in the Europa League, I think the outlook at the moment would be far more positive than what it currently is. Would you agree with that? I, I think certainly, um, if nothing else, uh, our Champions League run demonstrated with very much Europa League a level team um, as it stands, if not necessarily by historical reputation and certainly by, by quality of team. Right. Um, I think when we did our preseason uh, predictions, I think almost all of us thought we'd make it to the group stages of the Champions League, but we'd almost certainly get knocked out, finish third and go down into um, into the Europa. And the fact that we, in theory, could have still done that even at the last game kind of shows where our level's at. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that we made it to the Champions League. We couldn't have predicted the uh, kind of horrifying group that we've ended up with, uh, probably one of the strongest groups um, in that Champions League group stage. But... I think from a financial perspective, it was good that we got there. But by Christ, it was depressing from a footballing perspective. Yeah, it was, absolutely. Um, if we're just kind of keeping tabs on Gio at the moment, um, up to this point where he's qualified for the Champions League, he's got to a Europa League final, a Scottish Cup, and he's qualified for the Champions League all in the space of kind of six months. So it's kind of hunky-dory at this point. And then, Andrew, as you touch upon... The games then happen in the Champions League. We've got Ajax, Napoli, Liverpool. Okay, it's a very difficult group, but I'll, I'll, I'll certainly um, concede that. But the one thing that I can't concede is, and this is this is where the, the wheels started to come off on me, was the very first performance, which I did obviously me and you sat and watched that together. In Amsterdam, we actually weren't in Amsterdam, um, but the game was in Amsterdam. And the Rangers surrendered before a ball was kicked. And... It was probably one of the mo- the weakest performances I've seen from a Rangers team, certainly since the kind of Graham Murray, Pedro Kixinha um, era. And it, it killed us because, listen, I get Napoli and Liverpool were a level ahead of us. I totally understand that. But are you trying to tell me that Ajax are, are 
level above Dortmund, they're a level above RB Leipzig. And in actual fact, that you try to tell me that Ajax are a level above PSV, I, f- I think, you know, they are probably better than PSV, but not by much. And in actual fact, four or five weeks before we played Ajax, PSV beat Ajax in, in the Dutch Super Cup. So really, there's a, you, you could you could argue that there's a ball here between Ajax and PSV, but the gulf certainly isn't massive. And yet our attitude and our approach to the PSV game in Holland was completely different to our attitude and approach to the Ajax game in Holland. Whereas, literally, as Andrew said, if we get a point from that game, which you, there's no way... I don't think this team is capable of doing. Of course, I think this Rangers team and these Rangers players were capable of doing that. I actually still believe, you know, the, the team probably could be capable of that. I mean, we were in the Europa League final three, four months before this actual game happened, so we don't regress that much that quickly. A point in Amsterdam would have taken us to the last game against Ajax, and it's a shootout at Ibrox. Instead, it was a dead rubber. I get Andrew saying theoretically we, we, we had a chance, but we had to overturn a three goal, uh, a four goal deficit. Um, I just, I just couldn't believe what I was watching that night, and that's, and, and I think my point is that's where it started to all unfold. It was unprofessional. It was poor. It was lazy. It was a, a masterclass in disaster uh, from the manager and the players. Sorry, is there a question in there? Uh, just seeing if what, what's your point, Cola? What's your point, Cola? <laughs> <laughs> just, just seeing if no, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, like you said, I, I watched a few. Um, I was dri- driving from Inverness to Newcastle and called in into yours um, for a break on the drive just to watch it. And to be honest, by the end of it, I, I kind of regretted stopping because I could have drove. I could have been home by that point and not wasted all that time watching one of the worst performances from a Rangers team that I've ever seen. It was pathetic. Um, they didn't look up for it. The manager came out. Did he? Was it straight after the game? He came out and said, "We can't compete at this level." That's it. That was a game, yeah. Yeah, like just no one involved in the first team really seemed like they went into that game with any belief of coming away with a result. And you're absolutely right. There's no reason whatsoever we shouldn't be able to come away with a result from a game like that. We we just like you said three months prior been in the Europa League final. Now, Ajax are going into the Europa League now, so that is the level of a team that they're at, and we've beat teams on that level or slightly above that level to reach that final, and yet we went into that game as if we were just thankful to be in the game and had no place actually being on the pitch. It was a disgrace. It was. Um, I don't suppose, Andrew, you've got any positives to spend out of that performance? Um, Ajax are the same uh, in terms of league standings with PSV um, as it stands right now. But yeah, I mean, Ajax, it was, I think always when we got that group drawn, it was always going to be a shootout between us and Ajax. So you can maybe forgive, you know, losing away um, to them. But I think for me, at least it was the home performances at Europe that were, that were the most upsetting. Um, how easily we surrendered, um, you know, our, our stadium. And you can't forget how important Ibrox was, um, you know, as we said, you know, in that in that Europa League run, how important it was. You know, we could lose away, no problem, because we can get them back to Ibrox and, you know, crowd will get behind the team and the players respond to that and they will 
you know, take advantage of that to to win those games. Um, the the absolute surrender that we saw instead, I don't think was was at all acceptable. I think it's worth putting the Ajax game, um, that first game that we played away, into some context as well. We played that seventh of September. Four days beforehand, we've just gotten absolutely humped in the old firm as well. Four nil in a game where Celtic looked like they were taking it easy on us. So I think I think it it feeds into this thing that I'm sure we'll talk about later about the question of mentality of these players and how badly that prior game maybe affected them, and then how that then continues throughout this entire Champions League run. Um, because I don't think it does you any good as a professional player to be on the end of some absolute hammerings here. It cannot do anything good for your confidence. Um, and we certainly saw that throughout this entire Champions League campaign. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll come on to that Celtic uh, performance and result um, in due course. But listen, I'm not going to go through all the Champions League games here. Obviously, um, Ajax, they beat us 4-0 at... Um, in Amsterdam, they then beat us 3-1 at Ibrox, Liverpool 2-0 in Liverpool, which, you know, on the face of it now, seems like almost a miracle that we escaped with only two. Um, they then reversed that by, as I mentioned at the start of the show, um, our worst ever home defeat, 7-1, which was just... I'm going to remind you guys and I'm going to remind the listeners, I'm sure you just don't need reminding, but I will remind you anyway. At half-time that night, it was one each. And we'd actually taken the lead, and by full time we get beat 7-1, which, um, as Andrew alluded to there, comes to the attitude and mentality of these players. And Napoli, uh, they beat us 3-0 at Ibrox, and do you know something? This is quite, I don't know if it's just ridiculous, but I actually can't remember how much Napoli beat us by in Italy. Was it 3 or 4? Um, doesn't matter, does it? Um, the only positive from the Champions League campaign is 60 minutes at home against Napoli um, and that just isn't good enough at all. Even even in the dead rubber against Ajax, well, yeah, sure, we need to win, um, what is it, 5-0, we had to win to qualify. Okay, that was never going to happen, but you still expect a level of performance, really, that, you know, would show us that we belong on that stage against teams who we don't really see as being that much above us in, in terms of level. Um, yeah, sure, finances and players, they, they do have um, bigger finances and they, they do have better players, but we've shown that we can we can outperform ourselves against um, these kind of clubs. As I mentioned, Dortmund, Leipzig, um, but that night was just as bad as the night in Amsterdam. It was just so weak, just so poor um, and quite frankly, pathetic. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll grade it on an ABC system and I won't do the A plus or the B plus or the B minus or the C it's just completely A, B or C um, I'll start with you Eddie what would you rate the, the, the Champions League campaign obviously A being the best and C being the worst I'm not sure if this is a trick question no no it's a, it's a report card so. so okay then C the worst yeah, no, no, that's that's fine, that's fine. Um, Andrew, I'd, I'd I'd presume that you will you will agree with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think when you've got a kid who's doing badly at school, you you could maybe soft soft pedal it and say, well, at least they're putting the effort in. And here, I don't even think we could say that about this team. So yeah, absolutely a C. Yeah, so we'll move on to um, the league cup campaign before we we actually discuss the league. Um, I don't think we can. I don't think we should go too in-depth with this. As I said, it's been a pretty straightforward run to the semi-final uh, thus far. We've got a tricky tie in the semi-final against Aberdeen um, at Hamden. We all know what happened the last time we played Aberdeen at Hamden. Um, 
So we've got that in the back of our mind and we've also got questions about this team's mentality and bottles, so all this kind of stuff um, flung into this game. I, I genuinely, right now, on the 18th of November, could not tell you what's going to happen in that game. Am I confident? No. Would I be surprised if we won? No. Would I be surprised if we get put out? No. That's just where I am at the moment. But Queen of the South, Dundee, um, two games at Ibrox, uh, well, let's just kind of combine them together. In my opinion, it was uh, the Queen of the South game, I can... I, I I can overlook that because there was that many changes that night. I think we basically played the boys that night, didn't we? We, we started off with a youth team, um, essentially. And uh, I remember after about 60 minutes just sitting there going, why am I here? Like, this is... And I don't mean why am I here as in why am I existing? I mean, why am I, why am I in Ibrox and watching this? Like, this is so, so poor. And it, it, the game just petered out and almost... To the point where Kuna the South are looking more threatening us in the last five, ten minutes, chasing a kind of equaliser. Um, just very, very poor. Dundee, we had a stronger team put out in the park, and uh, the performance was n- not better. Um, scraped by again, last ten minutes, you could say that Dundee were looking the more threatening team and they were they were chasing an equaliser, and we just looked dead on our feet. Very, very, very poor performances, however. A win's a win at the end of the day. Cup competition, um, all that really matters at the end is, is you, you, you qualify for the next stage. So Gio has done that to this to this point. It's also worth noting, obviously, we're discussing Gio's progress or maybe lack of progress within the year. Gio has won every single cup competition tie that he's played. Um, that's in the Scottish Cup and the League Cup. And then you can add into that, obviously, he's never been beaten a two-legged game in, in Europe. So it's a pretty flawless record. So we have to give credit where credit is due. But we also have to critique what we've seen in the two performances in the League Cup this season. And Andrew, uh, it's just not been good enough. No, I mean, look, ultimately in a cup competition, it doesn't matter how glamorous the, the football is or anything like that. The most important thing is the win, right? Um so you could say he's achieved the bare minimum there. And I think you're right about that Queen of the South game as well. You know, although we're now in a stage where we don't actually have any fit centre-halves at the club, um, at the time, you know, we were we were trying out a lot of the use. We had Divine and King starting in that team, as well as, you know, Robbie Yeo. Um, is it Robbie Yeo? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, starting up front. So, you know, it, it's a team that had heavy rotation and... You know, we, we got what at the end looks like a relatively comfortable victory, albeit it required a Scarfield goal in the 86th minute to make it look uh, healthier than it was. The Dundee game, I think it looks a lot like a lot of our league games, unfortunately, where we started strong. Fortunately, in that game, we did get the early goal. But then after that, I think after that first 10 minutes, you know, our form and, and the performance of the team just dropped off completely. Um and we never really looked like we were putting any pressure onto Dundee. And we knew that we were going to have a spell towards the end of that game where Dundee would throw stuff forward at us. And the positive that you can take from it is that, you know, we didn't let the walls fall in in that particular game. And we are through to the to the semi-final. We have no idea what kind of team we're going to have come the 15th of January. Um, so it, I... I wouldn't even venture to predict what what's going to happen in that game um, because I think no matter what it is going to be a different looking team than um, than the team that played against Dundee. 
if only for the fact that we'll have about 11 players allegedly coming back from injury. So um, it's it's going to be interesting. But as you said, Chris, he's not lost a cup game yet. So um, we shall see. We shall see. Eddie, I've actually got a wee bit of a bone to pick with you here because um, these two particular games, Queen uh, of the South and Dundee, you gave your tickets up for me um, to go and attend them. And uh, you you seen that coming, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, of course, you're going to take the semi-final ticket, though, aren't you? Uh, yeah, absolutely right. I'm going to take the semi-final ticket. <laughs> but <laughs> in all seriousness, though, the, the way I look at it is, um, yeah, the performances weren't great in those games, but I don't really care at that stage of the League Cup. In my head, it doesn't really matter until you reach the semi-final. Um, other than if, if we lost, obviously it would be a different matter. But how we win in those early stages, I'm not really that bothered. It's more often than not, like we've seen with Queen of South, a bit of a changed team, let a couple of the fringe players play kind of thing. Dundee, I know, was a bit of a stronger team, but still wasn't really like our, our best team. Well, it might have been at the time, considering more injuries. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not that fast on the performance. Um, I usually expect it to not be great, which is why I said, here, Chris, have these tickets. Um, <laughs> but if that kind of performance is followed up by a similar performance in the semi-final, then we've got a problem because we're, we're not going to win big games at Hamden with performances like that. No, no. What, what would you rate the, the League Cup campaign thus far? I'll give it a B. He, he's won, but the performances haven't been great, but I'm not that bothered, so, you know... He gets a pass, but barely. Andrew? Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, of all the competitions uh, that we've talked to, that I think we're going to talk about so far, this is the least important one as far as we're concerned. It's nice to have a trophy, but ultimately in terms of prize money or prestige, the League Cup doesn't matter that much. Um, I'm going to slightly disagree with you there. I would quite Controversy. Like, I know. I would actually quite like to win the League Cup. I've always viewed the League Cup as a, a Rangers Cup um, mm-hmm. throughout my years and always kind of, if we're going to win a double, I've always just looked at it being the League Cup and, and the title. Not that yeah. I don't rate the Scottish Cup. Obviously, the Scottish Cup it kind of has more prestige in it but I would quite like to win the League Cup because it's been a while since we've won I mean don't get me wrong I want to win everything but if we can only win one of the two cups I would quite like to win the League Cup this year and I never I mean it's kind of irrelevant well it's not quite irrelevant but near enough irrelevant but normally I view going into the season whoever wins the League Cup is going to win the league out of us and and, uh, Celtic Mm. Uh, but this year I, I I'm not so sure that will definitely happen if we win the League Cup, but you never know. Might nope. be what we need, yeah. the catalyst that we need to boost us. Uh, one way of looking at it is, and, and this really is uh, shining a turd here, but um, it's, it's still something that we can say um, we've seen. Um, and we like at Rangers to, I don't, know if, like, I don't know if you can call this a record, but since 2012, the League Cup is the only trophy in the whole of the professional men's game we have not lifted. And as soon as we lift that, we can all say that we've seen Rangers lift every single trophy available in Scotland. And, and that is included, obviously, the League Two, League One Championship and the Challenge Cup. And as we know, we got the Scottish Cup last year. We got the Premier League um, the year before. So the League Cup is really the only one missing since the, the 2012 debacle. So I think there is slightly probably more importance on it than maybe Andrew 
kind of um, put on it there, but I do agree with both you guys. Eddie, it's a nice one to have in the bag, but also Andrew, in the grand scheme of things, it is probably the least important out of all the trophies that we're competing in. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, yeah and, and, and and from my perspective, I don't I don't mean to downplay it, and and I agree with Eddie. You know, it, it is always a good kind of benchmark for where you are in your season uh, because it's typically played, uh, you know, to a completion that early on in the season. It is kind of a good benchmark for where we're at. Um, I think Geo's been stronger in cups, obviously, than uh, than in the league. Um, so, you know, it might not translate into a league victory. Um, Wouldn't be very but, hard, Andrew, really, though, would it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it would be nice to have, um, for sure. But yeah. Well, the, the, that, that, that moves us on to the league campaign. Um, as I said at the, uh, at the top of the show there, it was a pretty flawless start. Uh, we won all our games bar the, the, the Hibs game but the, as I said there was circumstance there was understanding there what as to why we didn't get the three points that day we were let down by Alfredo Morelos we were let down by a, dis, a, a terrible decision by the referee sending John Lundstrom off and to be honest it's the first time I can actually say that really this season um, I don't think the USG game was totally on Gio but for me this was the first time this season we were let down by Gio because his um, approach to the, the second red card just defied logic to me. Um, it was pretty much let's just camp out in our own box and defend our box for the last 15 20 minutes. And to be fair, we've done okay, we, you know, we almost got away with it. It was a, it was a last minute goal, but the fact that we're, we're Rangers, you know, nine men, of course, that, that is the, the argument that Gio will have, but we're Rangers and we're, we're essentially keeping all nine men in the box because we feel the threat of a very, very poor Hibs team. I just don't understand the approach. And this isn't with the benefit of hindsight. I said at the time it was just a ridiculous approach. We should have kept one up there so we had an out ball. But genuinely what was happening that day was, and I understand, by the way, I'm probably giving this more time than it deserves, but I think I think that it's justified. But what was happening that day was we were clearing the ball. It was going up the field. There was no one there for us. And Hibs would then retain it. And then the pressure was back on. Rinse and repeat for 20 minutes. Um, the inevitable was that they would get a goal. Um, and in actual fact, if I remember, uh, obviously they scored that goal. It wasn't exactly the last kick of the ball. There was still another 30 to 45 seconds to go. They, they, I mean, a more professional Hibs team could have went on to actually try and get the winner. If you remember, when they scored that equaliser, they were ecstatic to the point they were celebrating wildly, whereas a, a more professional team with a sense of blood got the ball, restarted the game and went for the winner. So in many ways, you could argue we maybe got away with one there. But um, that that was only kind of uh, chinking our armour up to that point. We then qualify uh, for the Champions League against PSV. And then the most bizarre thing happened um, probably in my time supporting Rangers. So we beat PSV. The window was fast approaching to, to, to be closing. We technically were in a good spot. We're two points behind Celtic at this point. We've got Celtic coming up at Parkhead. We've just qualified for the Champions League group stages. So really, we should have been happy with that. But almost all Rangers fans... I would say about 95% of Rangers fans, and I'm gauging this just purely on social media, which isn't always the greatest gauge, but you know, this is what I'm gauging it on. 95% of Rangers fans just were not confident, just were not comfortable with the current team. Everyone, as I said, was almost 
almost universally, right, let's get one or two in so that we're ready for this stretch of games up into the World Cup because we're, we're kind of under-equipped here. And this is despite, you know, seven signings. We were all quite excited who we were going to get. All these rumours were coming about Evander from Michelin, um, Ross Barkley, I remember all this kind of um, pie-in-the-sky stuff, really. Um, and then the window slammed shut, no one was signed, and there was almost this defeated, defeatist attitude amongst the fans, which, in my opinion, spread into the team, because up to this point, as I said, well, we're, we're performing relatively well, we're, we've had a relatively successful start to the season, and then we just collapse at Parkhead, and to me that just epitomised the club, the fans, everything about Rangers at that point, because it was just almost like, not only did the fans know we weren't good enough, it was almost as if the players believed it. Because, do you know what? The evidence that suggests that to me was, on that day, the minute the ball was kicked to start the game, we had no belief, no confidence, and our attitude that day was probably worse um, than maybe the USG game. In fact, definitely the USG game. The Celtic scored four goals, and you can literally look at the three of the four goals, especially the last goal, which was just horrific. Probably the worst old firm goal ever to be conceded. John McLaughlin passed it to Turnbull for a tapping, but certainly two goals before that um, came through players switching off. I mean, it's an old firm. Like we, we're experienced old firm uh, viewers. We know that the one thing you need to have in these games is concentration, a level of professionalism and a level of composure. And all of that just completely went out the window. And then that's, for me, that's when we were like, right, shit, what's going on here? Eddie, do you think this is the kind of start of the collapse, if you will? Because it has been a collapse up to this point. But do you think this was the beginning of it? Or would you say that the Ajax game is maybe the beginning of it? But for me, it was a game parked. No, I think you're right. I think it was that Parkhead game. Um, we went in still kind of as fans full of hope for, for what was play ahead. But then when you watched that game, that old firm, we we were just outclassed. And like you say, the team <clears throat> switched off. But it wasn't even like it was new players who hadn't experienced an old firm that, that it switched off either. It was experienced yeah. big old firm players like Ryan Kent turning his back and walking away when the free kick's blown or when when they've got a throw in. And you just think, well, you've played in this game. You know you've got to be switched on. But also, what were you guys doing before the match? What, what kind of preparation were you doing? Because everyone knows Celtic like to take throw-ins quickly, free kicks quickly to catch the team, their opponents unaware. So what, why are we not prepared for that? Surely a team at our level can I, can I just played say- in big games. Sorry, go on. I slightly, I get your point, but I slightly disagree with the sentiment because if you remember the some of the footage that we've seen, Gio was pulling his hair out. Like that's the most animated we've ever seen Gio on a touchline. Purely at Ryan Kent when he turned his back. Yeah, for, no, I, I get what you're saying there, but just because he's animated in the moment doesn't mean he's prepared them for that, though. I just, I, I, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing. For me, this season, and and we're reviewing this season, but there's nothing for me this season that shows that he has prepared them well for games. So yeah, he can get animated on the touchline all he wants, but that doesn't that doesn't tell me he's prepared this team because there's no evidence of the team ever actually being prepared in any game this season, other than probably PSV away. 
Andrew, I suppose my point there is, um, and, and we will get to this, but I suppose my point there is I'm just sick of these players getting a free pass. Um, I think more criticism is due coming their way, and I'm not saying Eddie let them off there, but I find it really difficult. Um, and, and Eddie, if you think I'm disagreeing here before Andrew jumps in, come back in, but I, I just find it really difficult to... And that in that one game in isolation, I get when you look at the when you've got a body of evidence here, you you could probably see a theme. But in that one game in isolation, I just find it very difficult to lay all the blame at Giovanni van Bronckhorst's door when the mistakes were so soft. You know, it's, it's not as if Celtic really had to work hard to open us up. They didn't. So I will just quickly jump in. I'm I'm definitely not laying it all at his door. That was kind of just. My, my comment on the preparation wasn't there, it was just kind of a a side comment. My main point was the fact that players like Kent, and I, I feel like I'm picking on him here, but Barisic as well, I suppose you can throw in. But Tavenir as well, mate. And Tav, yeah, yeah, definitely. These players have played so like many a time and they know what what is expected in this game and they just didn't bring it at all. They didn't, they weren't up for it. They, they weren't, Busting a gut, they were, it just looked like to them it was an everyday normal game, and you can't go into a game like that as if you're playing Dunfermline. No offense to Dunfermline, but obviously they are not Celtic. You, you can't go into an old firm not prepared to challenge for every single ball being switched on for 90 minutes. You, you have to go in. I don't know. Maybe we had decaf before that game. Maybe that's the issue. Yeah, I, Andrew, what say you about that? Well, it was a team effort and it took the whole team working together to really fuck that one up, you know. Um, it, it's it's not just, and it's not all on the players um, and it's not all on the manager. It's a combination of both, right? Um, Celtic have a good style of football, um, especially for this league, but it's just that one style. You know exactly what they're going to do, Um it's just about working out a way to to defeat it. Not a lot of teams have figured that out, but you would think a team that managed to have the best defensive record in the whole of Britain two seasons prior would be able to figure out how to you know stop an aggressive attacking form of football. And it was individual errors all over the place. It wasn't and. For me, I think that it's it's a positive for Geo in that sense because there wasn't a, a cause uh, due to the style of football that we were playing. All of the goals came from individual errors um, for me. Yeah. So it, it was it was a, an atrocious performance. I think you know we 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 have over the past decade seen Rangers get humped badly by Celtic in the past, but. Um, I think for me, I think we we were in a position where as fans, we thought we were past this kind of thing. Yeah. You know, we, we expected uh, an intense game, but I think we would be expecting Rangers to give as good as we got. And it's an old firm and at their place, it's, it's always an ask, but uh, it was a capitulation. Um, and, you know, the, the, uh, the lack of effort that we saw from the players in that game, I think what was enough to, to turn a large portion of the fan base, not only on the players, but on the manager as well. Yeah. Um, I, I don't agree with the, the idea that, you know, the fans' negativity affected the players. If 
if Rangers fans' negativity affected our players, we would never have won anything in our entire history. Like, <laughs> you know, we, um, we, we're not uh, the happiest of fan bases, I think, even at the best of times, you know. Um, I can still remember people complaining about Walter Smith's European record. Um, so it, it, it is what it is, but you, you're expecting the professionals, and particularly, as you guys have said, the players who have been in these matches before, who have experience in old firms and who have won old firms, pressure old firms as well. You know, games where there was where there were cups on the line, where, where, there, were, where there were leagues at stake. Um, you would expect those players if not the uh, the newer ones, to be able to put in more effort than we saw. I think the worrying thing for me is, and I need to be very careful how I kind of articulate this, but um, if I'm just going to discuss uh, Celtic for a moment, you have to you have to look at both sides of the coin. So I'll go to the, the, the Celtic side of the coin first before I come to what worries me the most. So the Celtic side of the coin is they are on track for matching or equaling Brendan Rodgers' season um, and they're more likely than not going to match that but they're on track for it and I get that the argument there is that Brendan Rodgers went undefeated but um, he also didn't have as many consistent wins um, up to this point uh, of the season. We need to remember there's been what 15-16 games and Celtic have only lost one but they've won the rest of them. Like, that is consistency that we just haven't seen in this league. Um, even with two invincible seasons in the last uh, five, six years, one from us and one from, from Celtic, because usually there will be drop points there. So Celtic have been massively, um, sorry, very, very consistent in terms of not just uh, not getting beat, but winning games. So you could point to that uh, and, and defensive Gio and say he's a little bit unlucky because he's coming up against a, a, a winning Celtic team, a team that knows how to win. We've seen it in the last, I don't know how many months, um, at least two or three occasions where Celtic have conceded a late goal and then they've went up the park and scored a winner um, because they've got that mentality. Whereas in a normal season against a normal Celtic team, there will be, those games do become draws rather than wins. Um, and the, the gap wouldn't be in the nine points, but we do have to caveat the fact that Celtic have a 95% win rate this season, um, which is just unbelievable consistency. And as much as it hurts me to say that, but that needs to be the context here. But the other side of it, um, from the Rangers' point of view, when you look at how we tackle this Celtic team, um, as towards the end of last season, I genuinely felt that Giovanni Van Bronckhorst had learned a lesson by his first Parkhead capitulation, I thought, right, that will never happen again. And yes, Celtic went to Ibrox and won, um, but they didn't bar us that day. I think it was a very um, narrow game. I think Rangers should have done better, but it was decided by the single goal. Fair enough, that happens in old firms. We've seen plenty of them. And then obviously the Scottish Cup game and then the game at Parkhead where we drew one each. I thought those two games were the turning point for me because I felt that Giovanni Van Bronckhorst had sussed it out. And he'd developed a, a, a style of play that could obviously neutralise the Celtic style of play. Um, but what has become more and more apparent to me, and I don't know if you guys agree with us, is we were only the better team over those two games because Celtic were fucked. We look at John Lundstrom, for example, and 
He bullied Rio Hitati in the last two old firms. He absolutely destroyed them. And then you hear from Celtic fans that this is a Rio Hitati who's not had a break in 18 months. He's played a full Japanese schedule and he's came in and played almost a full Scottish schedule. He's not, not had a, an extended break. He gets an extended break and he absolutely takes the utter piss out of Lundstrom at Parkhead. And that to me showed that there wasn't the progress we fought in terms of... Um, tactically neutralising the Celtic threat and, and that was the most damning thing for me was when I when I look back and I, and I might be really, really harsh here and, and you guys may disagree with me but when I look back on those two kind of turning points, the Scottish Cup and the game at Parkhead, I kind of now see them more differently than I did at the time. I see that as a very fatigued Celtic team and I've seen that Rangers were absolutely riding on nothing but adrenaline because obviously we were just game after game and, you know, the regression from those games to that 4-0 game was just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I just did not expect it. Do you th- Eddie, I'll come to you first. Do you think that's a fair summary um, or, or, or do you think that I'm probably overthinking it maybe? On both sides, the Celtic consistency and the Rangers regression because Celtic obviously aren't as fatigued. Uh, well, I don't think you're overthinking it. I, I think it's difficult to not look back and, and kind of change your view when, when you see a kind of larger body of work. I think at the time we all probably felt the same as you did, that that first defeat was kind of the the kick up the butt that the team needed. Um, and then the next couple of times we played them, obviously we were the better team. And I, I think we were all like, right, okay, yeah, that, that hammering a parkhead was embarrassing. It was bad, but actually longer term it's maybe it's worked out for the better because it's allowed the management team to look at the team uh, to watch Celtic up close in person and see what we need to do to beat them but now that we've then subsequently been embarrassed by them again this season you kind of look at it different and think actually those other two games we played them where we were the better team we didn't actually beat them in in 90 minutes one was the um, cup semi-final which we won in extra time and the other one was a draw in the league so actually we didn't really turn anything around did we it, we've had two hammerings and two draws with them over the course of 90 minutes so yeah we have a lot of work to do if we want to overcome them and I don't I, I'm very uh, or I, I like to think very level-headed when it comes to reviewing Celtic, I've never really been one for massively downplaying anything they achieve or any any kind of good runs they go on and say, nah, it's because of this, it's because of that. I'm quite willing to say, okay, yeah, they're, they're a decent team, good team. And at the moment, you're right, they, they are a good team and they do have that winning mentality. I would say I slightly disagree with you on the this Celtic team or kind of better at winning those late games and have that mentality than previous Celtic teams. I think Celtic have had that for a long time. I think they've had that kind of winning mentality to always push for that winner and keep playing until the end and just going all out in the last few minutes to try and secure that victory. I think they've had that for quite a while because apart from when we won um, the league, when we won that uh, league a couple of years ago, even in the seasons before that, they seem to be getting lots of late game winners you I never felt comfortable in the 90th minute with a Celtic one all score I was always waiting for the for my screen to pop up 
um, with a, an alert to say that they'd won 2-1 or waiting for Sky Sports News to say um, we're back to Parkhead and it's a late dramatic winner, who's it for? And then it'd be for Selig. So that's the only bit I would disagree with. Yeah, it's um, it's certainly uh, an issue um, for us that we need to address in quickly. And we'll come on to probably why we haven't been able to address that in, in a minute when we, we discuss, obviously, the transfers. But, Andrew, we'll just wrap up the kind of league form. Um, obviously, there's been drop points to um, Livingston. There's been drop points to St Mun very recently. We were defeated by St Johnston. Um, obviously, the Hibs game, the Celtic game. Um, we find ourselves nine points behind Celtic. Obviously, we've got three old firm games to go, but I, I've never been a fan of that type of talk because I don't think that theory works out because you're assuming that there's going to be a 100% record up until these old firm games, and then you're assuming that we're going to have a 100% record in these old firm games. So when people come out with that, you're pretty much saying that we're going to win every game from here until the end of the season, which is just unrealistic. Um, so I don't buy too much into that but I do I do understand that that is a, a focus that we still do have three old firm games and 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 when you have three old firm games to go and you are nine points behind we shouldn't really be looking to concede the league however the performances the attitude and the unprofessionalism the fitness uh, worries the injury list all combined to almost universalist Rangers fans pretty much conceding that there will be no 56 league title this year um, I know that you're not fully on board with that as, as we discussed at the start but you can understand why that is the consensus amongst the fans because the league form has been horrific even in the wins Andrew it's been so unconvincing yeah and I mean there's two aspects to this right there is Rangers own atrocious form like even when we've been winning it's not been particularly convincing you know we've had a, a couple of good wins certainly in the early part of the season pre the Hibs game you know we were getting the job done and the games were relatively comfortable if not maybe the most attractive style of football um but the other point is Celtic's just ridiculous run of form um you know they've lost to two teams this season you know Tim Mirren fairly memorably and then obviously in uh, in Sydney 2-1 to Sydney FC in the uh, in the fantastic Sydney Super Cup. We should really be taking part in that. Sounds like a great idea. Um, you know, we're we're in a situation where we have we have dropped points uh, far too often in draws, and Celtic haven't had a single draw in their league campaign thus far. So it, it, it's difficult, but this this Rangers team is a team that looks completely knackered at this point. Whereas Celtic have got, I think, a deep enough bench that they look like they're able to rotate and bring on different players. We, our bench for the last few games, you know, where we sit right now, has looked pretty threadbare. Um, and we are going to, I think, come on to talk about why that is. But it's worth noting that that this this problem doesn't start and end at the manager's uh desk this this is a a wider malaise that's crept into the club here um and uh yeah I, you know we, we need to fix it and fix it quickly because um the league is maybe just achievable maybe but it's a big ask um but it can very very quickly go completely out the window 
um, when we come back from the World Cup. Yeah. Um, what What would you rate our league campaign so far? Uh, we're not doing pluses or minuses, are we? Um, yeah. I, I'd give it a B. I'd want to give it a B minus or a C plus because I don't I don't buy into the idea that it's completely over. I wouldn't completely write it off, but it, it's looking very shaky. It's not done at this point, as far as I'm concerned, but I think it's fairly critical. So it'd be a low, low B. Eddie, what about you? For where we are at this stage of the season, I mean, I'm giving that a Z. <laughs> like, I know it's not done, but as a review for where we're at at this stage in the season, that's a massive fail. I mean, when you sit your prelims, you can fail your prelim. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to fail the overall course, but where you're at at that point, it's a fail. So for me, I, I couldn't rate it any higher than the lowest possible rating so far. I think I'm inclined to kind of agree more with Eddie assessment on it than, than yours, Andrew, but not to say that you're completely in the wrong. The reason that I would agree with Eddie there is because there's more drop points coming, and um, we can see it because of the issues that we have. The issues that we have is injuries, fitness, coaching, transfers, um, form, and uh, let's let's touch upon um, the transfers. I mean, we're not, it's, it's not going to be a, a four or five hour podcast, so we're not going to go each individual transfer we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the transfer business as a whole um, in the summer we, we brought in uh, Robbie Matondo, Ben Davis, Malik Tillman John Suter, Radvan Yilmaz, Tom Lawrence and Antonio Cholak and by my reckoning guys there's only been one successful signing though, um, and that is Antonio Cholak you could probably say so hang on just before we go into anything else there's only one successful signing Antonio Cholak so would that make him at this moment in time, signing of the season. I mean, I, I would, I would like to have a conversation with you and a more. Positive. No, no, no. But at this point in time, does that make him signing I, of the season? That, that, but what I'm saying is, from no, 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 no. yes or no. Because Alfredo Morelos has been so, uh, um, I, I wouldn't even say bang off on because he's been Itty, so. Itty. just, just know that it's a yes. Chris is right, trying to talk cool, around it. <laughs> But, but back to the point, uh, Cholak has, for me, been the only real out-and-out success. You could probably point to Malik Tillman's done okay, um, very inconsistent. And I see a lot of people defending Malik Tillman uh, purely because of his age. I've never bought into that whole, he's a young boy, let's give him some slack kind of thing. The same with Leon King in that in that regard. Um, when you play for Rangers and you consistently play for Rangers, age is irrelevant. Um, I'm not one of those kind of cliche guys where... If you're old enough, you're good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm purely, you're a Rangers player when you play for Rangers and I will judge you on what I see. And what I see from Alec Tillman, and it really pisses me off. And, and Eddie, you, you kind of fell into this camp a little bit, um, is when people say, oh, he's a direct replacement for Jordy. Well, and Eddie, you're not the only one, by the way. I've seen it a lot. And, and it's just like, Aye, but no, mine he's was, not. He's just not I'm, My comment like that was facetious, though. Yeah. Because I didn't rate Rebo as high as everyone else. I, I often complained that Rebo had all the talent, all the skill, and none of the decision-making or none of the output. So I was just making fun of Tillman saying that he was the same. He's got he's got obviously natural ability and natural talent, but his decision-making is horrendous at times. Um, I, think his out, I think his output's slightly better than where Rebo's was, to be honest, but nah. more often than not, his actual input into the game isn't isn't there. Um, or he'll... he'll 
do one really nice dribble, you'll nutmeg someone, and then you'll kick it at the corner flag. I'm just not. I'm just not having that, Eddie. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just. I can't. I can't. I, I just find it very difficult to agree with that because um, you give me ten opportunities to pick Joe Aribo over Malik Tillman, and I'm taking Joe Aribo ten times. Um, so, so am I. I'm not saying. I'm not saying I wouldn't pick Aribo over Tillman. I'm just saying I didn't rate Aribo as highly as perhaps you did. Even even, even now, he had six, or he had a great half a season um, at the start of the season last season. He was great in the year we won the league but the year before that he was crap and he was crap after the Cup of Nations Nah, I disagree disagree with that I do man, I think think on the whole, the whole three years that we got at Jory were very productive Um, I think we've seen a young boy come up from London who just wasn't ready for the the, Uh, the Is this you cutting him some slack because he was a young boy? No, 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 no no. I'm I'm giving giving full context to the, the Joe Aribo progression. I think he came up here as a young boy. He wasn't ready for the physicality of the league. He got a horrific injury against Livingston. And I have to say that was for me um, at the time, that was his Fabio Cardoso moment. I thought, right, we're never going to see him again. And he came back, he worked on his um, his physique. He worked on a lot of things. Um, technically, technically, it was never in question with him. It was all, I agree, it always was decision making. I think he worked on that. His versatility, um, I think there was a, st- a, a statistic going around that he played in something like five or six different positions with Angels and he scored in every position that he played in and that includes left back um, you had that moment of magic I don't see that moment of magic with Malik Tillman what I see for Malik Tillman is an individual moment um, that he will do because he's not under pressure um, in terms of having three or four guys around him whereas with Joe Rebo he'd have three or four guys around him and he'd beat them and then he'd create something might not be a goal, but it still creates something. I don't see that with Tillman. Um, I just, I think it's it's such a downgrade, and I thought I, I, I genuinely think a lot of people are in denial about it. I think um, Joe Rebo's part and Rangers um, has has not been appreciated, and I think people are starting to appreciate it now because he's a massive loss to this team. Um, even if Joe Rebo was having a bad game, his physicality and his presence was still there, and. When when Tillman's having a bad game, he's just an empty jersey. Um, and look, we've just I've essentially just banned Malik Tillman. I have to say that, that there is some talent there, but if you're going to ask me the question, would I spend six million quid to make Malik Tillman's move permanent? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, again, Tom Lawrence, you can say he's been a bit unlucky because I thought he made a, a pretty flawless start to his Rangers career, but injuries has certainly derailed that. So we can't really say that it's been a successful signing thus far, but I fully expect Tom Lawrence to get his head down, knuckle down and, and go on after the, the World Cup. Red Van Yilmaz is just looking more and more bizarre by the week. Um, it was starting to kind of break into the team. I think it was due an extended run in the team and I think he was about to get it and then obviously the curse of the injury struck but we can't get away from the fact this is a £5 million asset and a £5 million signing that has just not worked out thus far. John Suter, I'm inclined to give him more leeway He's a free transfer. His wages will be relatively low. Yeah, he had an injury history. If we get a turn out, great. If we don't, then it's fairly low risk. Thus far, his uh, career at Rangers has not been of anything of note. I think it's like 45 minutes. Um, Rabbi Matondo, I'm not going to even start uh, with Rabbi Matondo. I've seen 
so many versions of Rabi Matondo over the last four or five years. I've seen him in Jordan Jones, I've seen him in Brandon Barker, I've seen him in Shea Ojo. Um, but the only difference with Rabi Matondo and the three or four aforementioned guys is Rabi Matondo costs three million quid. Absolute waste of money. Ben Davis, I'm, I'm not inclined to give him a pass mark yet because I think we've not seen enough of him. I think he likes a niggle. And players that like Inigo always worry me. I think we'll see far less of them than we'll see more of them if that continues, that trend continues, however. What I have seen them, seen of them, I have been fairly impressed, but I also have to look at the fact that he's had an 18-year-old next to him um, and he's probably having to do the job or two. Um, I would love to see an extended run of Ben Davis and Conor Golson. So for, for, for that reason, um, and by the way, I'm very much aware that I've gave Antonio Cholak probably the kind of best signing of the season if you will and I've not spoken anything of him there's nothing much more you can say about Cholak give him the ball in the box he'll score a goal that's exactly he's Ron Sealanty so yeah um, we've not addressed the midfield we've not addressed the right wing position we've not addressed the goalkeeping position three crucial positions that needed to be addressed we didn't address them the players that were brought in I've given out of the seven only one real pass marks although there is two or three there that could potentially go on to be good signings but the rest um, just don't don't understand our transfer business from the summer. Um, we regressed. We lost Calvin Bassey. We lost Joe Rabel. We lost Nathan Patterson. We haven't replaced any of them. And it was probably one of the most pathetic transfer windows I've seen at Rangers in a very, very, very long time. Um, Andrew, I've kind of went on a rant now. Uh, but um, anything you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to disagree with? Anything I've missed? I'm going to pick you up about Joe Rebo because I think you're really... Or the guy that, you know, we, the guy that we spoke to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Malik Tillman is Joe Rebo season one for us. Um, Joe Rebo grew as a player while he was with us. And by the end, I think you could absolutely say he was doing much better. But if we look at the stats, because we love some stats... Um, Tillman so far this season, four goals, three assists. Um, Joe Rebo over the course of an entire season, his first season, nine goals and eight assists. So Tillman's halfway there in terms of actual contributions to the game. I, I think he can be harshly judged because he's um, he's got a style of play that looks lazy. And it was a criticism that got leveled at Joe Rebo as well. Um in terms of you know general transfer success, I think we've done okay. Um, honestly, I think this transfer window, we had more successes than failures, more players who look like they could be positive going forward. Tony Goals, obviously. Tom Lawrence, I think, has been a big miss for us. You know, we, we saw when he started getting a run on the team how effective that's, he could be. That's the downturn. It was that point when he went out yeah. injured, that's when everything went wrong. So I think we've been really unlucky with that attacking midfield role. Um, you're expecting Tillman to to be the man and you're expecting Tom Lawrence to be the man. We've also got Yanis Hadji. We've also got, um, Christ, what's the name of our player who's out injured at the moment? Um, Way to the young boy. It down there, Andrew. No, was, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, the uh, the young boy whose name is completely... Lowry. Yeah, Alex Lowry. No, Alex Lowry. He's also one of those. Yeah, but he was also one of those players who you'd see slotting into that attacking midfield role. And instead, we had to rely on Scott Arfield, who's playing three games in a week, which is murdering him. Um, Ben Davis, I think, looks good. I think next to, I think, as you alluded to, Chris, 
you know, someone who's more like a first choice centre back as opposed to probably our fifth choice in Lee and King. Um, he looked he looked very assured when we saw him have his run uh, with Golton for what felt like a game and a half maybe. Um, that defence looked the best it's looked all season. So obviously Golton goes out with a long term injury and then Davis picks up a knock as well. Um, Yilmaz again looked excellent. Um, you know in the brief spell that he had. Um, obviously then immediately got injured as soon as he started looking any good. Matondo, yeah. <laughs> what what you guys have said and um Suter, i did not think it was worth a punt um i get the idea of signing youngish scottish talent and picking that up um for as you guys have said relatively low cost but Suter's not someone i'd be taking that gamble on because his legs are made out of spaghetti and he just, he has not been consistently fit the entire time he's with hearts and so even setting aside whatever our medical team are doing to our players at the moment, you could have probably got excellent um, odds on Suter being the first player to get injured for us because, yeah, he has he's never been consistently fit, I think, playing top-flight football. So, say, say of the seven signings that we made, four of them, I think, are good for the future. That's relatively successful. But I think the point is, Andrew, uh, when when Rangers are making a, a a clutch of signings, it's okay to say four will be good for the future, but the other three need to be good just now. And well, I, I think the the big thing I think which you pointed out, Chris, is we've made signings in some areas where we didn't need to make signings, yes. where and we've let we've neglected areas. Goalkeeping situation, I think when we talked about it pre-season, I thought that McLaughlin was ready. I didn't agree with giving McGregor another contract. And I think if you do that, you're basically indicating that Robbie McCrory isn't ready to be either the number two or the number one. So, you know, that's obviously a position that needed addressed. We we were in a position where McCrory's contract ends at the end of this season. If he's not the plan long term, I don't think you give him another deal, which we have. But, but if he is the future... But if he is the future, then why aren't you playing him at all? It's not like we've been in a position where we've been embarrassed by how good our goalkeeping situation has been this season. We've not really touched on John McLaughlin and his form uh, in the early part of the season, but it was bad enough that he went out after a series of poor performances and has not been seen since. Um, We we have spent... uh, no money on the midfield. The 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 biggest transfer fee that we've spent on our midfield, like a central midfield player, has been Charlie McCann. Glenn Kamara's 50k. In theory, Charlie McCann's fee can go up to three quarters of a million um, to to Man City for the cross border training and various, I think, appearances and other add on fees. So that's an area of the park that you know we could in the various pods that you and me and you know that we've all talked on Chris going back the past few seasons midfield has always been a position that we've wanted money spent on and we have just kicked that down the road again and again and again in in 2022 we should not be seeing Ryan Kent and Glenn Kamara forming our midfield and we still are you know when either one of them is fit so it's 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 neglect 
just so that I can stop the smart arses trying to correct you, Andrew, I'll correct you as well. You meant Ryan Jack there, I understand. Um, Ryan Jack, Scott. Ah, Athens. they're all they're, they're, the useless Ryan, you know? <laughs> that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the thing is, you're absolutely right. Uh, Scott Arfield, uh, Stephen Davis and Ryan Jack, those three in particular, um, three brilliant Rangers players. Uh, one of them, at the very least, will be a Rangers Hall of Famer. Um, certainly Stephen Davis, I'm looking towards there. Um, Ryan Jack, we know his injury record. Stephen Dav- uh, Scott Arfield has completely ran himself into the ground. And Stephen Davis is 36, 37 years of age. Um, and then next to him, you've got John Lundstrom, who is just... Um, we'll come on to John Lundstrom soon, but for me, um, is he banging out of form? Or is he, you know, just playing at his level? And that three, four months last season, was that his purple patch? Was he playing above his level? Because um, that's certainly what it's looking more and more like. But I agree that the, the neglect towards that midfield area is just so, so bizarre. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be uh, getting addressed anytime soon. So, Adi, what's your take on the the transfer um, situation this season? So, I think I'm probably closer to your opinion on it than Andrew's, if I'm honest with you. Um, I think Joe lacks a pass. Uh, I would say at this moment in time, he's definitely signing his season. uh, Anyone who predicted that earlier on in the seasons obviously got outstanding football knowledge. Um, I think Tom Lawrence looked great before he got injured and I genuinely when we're reflecting on it do think him getting injured is where things started to go downhill I was really looking forward to him playing in that first old firm and then when we heard that he got a knock I was I had hoped that he was going to be available and then it just seems to have completely disappeared since then outside of that I would struggle to give any of the signings a pass mark at this moment in time um, Matondo has just been garbage and I know people have said he's been played in the opposite wing from his natural position, but that shouldn't stop you doing the basics right. And he's he's looked like he can't trap a ball, he can't pass a ball at times. Yeah, he's had one or two little moments of decent play, but overall, uh, I just think he's looked garbage. Um, Yilmaz, I'm not as high on as other people. And I think a lot of that is people are just desperate for him to be great because we've paid a big fee for him because he's came in with this kind of reputation that he's going to be a big player but in all honesty his first game against Ross County he wasn't very good he had a good game against Queen of the South but you know we've paid nearly six million pounds for him so if he can't have a good game against Queen of the South then there's something dramatically wrong and, and then overall I, I think he looked all right um, I can't remember who his next game was against and then he had what, six minutes against Aberdeen before he got injured? So, overall, I've not been massively impressed. I wouldn't say he's been bad. He's not someone that I've, I'm overly down on, but I just haven't seen enough to be excited or write him off yet. Uh, I need to see a lot more from him. Davies looks good, but again, you're right. He likes a niggle. And then uh, I'm struggling to remember who else we signed, to be honest. Oh, yeah, Suter. He's been injured. I'm, I'm not... I'm not going to overly go into that. We signed someone with an injury history. They got injured. It's the way it goes. I think it probably was worth the gamble. Personally, it was free transfer. He looked good, um, especially when we played them in the cup final. So it was worth a shot. But at this moment in time, you wouldn't exactly say it's worked out. So overall, transfer business, not been great, has it? 
Nah, nah. Um, again, if we're going to rate it, my, my opinion, um, purely based on key positions not being filled, the beefing of the squad in terms of getting the squad depth up, it's been a very expensive squad depth summer. Um, when you look at the facts that at one point or another, uh, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is getting into these games maybe playing only one or two, and albeit sometimes that comes down to injury. Um, but at one time, Matondo, Davis, Tillman, Yilmaz and Cholak were all fit, and Cholak was the only one starting. Um, so for me, I'm giving that a C, almost into a B, because I agree with what Andrew says. You can look at the likes of Lawrence, you can look at the likes of Davies, um, and you can even look at the likes of maybe Yilmaz. They will potentially turn out to be good signings. You can, you can see there, but at the end of the day, we lost three key players. We made a shitload of money, and we brought players in who have not hit the ground running again. Um, you look at the other side of the city, which I know a lot of people don't like doing, but it is the competition. It is the the, the ones who are closest to us. Every single player they bring in hits the ground running. So what that does is that comes down to um, recruitment and knowledge of the players that you're bringing in. We can discuss Ross Wilson all we want, but I want to actually kind of turn it another way. Um, it's, it still does refer to Wilson, but I've said this many times and I'll continue to say it. We're going to be entering, it looks like, a third transfer market with Giovanni Van Bronckhorst in charge of the club. Um, albeit that could change. Um, Rangers might end up uh, cutting ties with Gio over the next couple of weeks, but I, I severely doubt that. So let's just presume that we are going to be entering our third market. Um, a third window, sorry. Um, and no Dutch players. I just, it's such a simple equation. But a Dutch manager who doesn't sign Dutch players just screams to me that that Dutch manager just does have very little to no say in who comes into the club. And I think Ross Wilson is actually on record by saying that there's a continuity programme at Rangers at the moment where um, under his stewardship, he picks the players, he picks the coaches, um, he picks the kind of one-club vision purely in situations that if we need a new manager, it's a seamless process. That's the thinking behind it. I get the thinking behind it, but the practical evidence in front of our face is Ross Wilson cannot pick a football player. Simple as that. You look at the one shining light transfer this season, um, Antonio Cholak, probably the, the, the most flawless signing that he's made this season. I wonder how he. I wonder how he knew about him. It's just ridiculous. Um, but then I'm I'm starting on Wilson when I'm trying not to. So I'm going to give it a C. Uh, Andrew, what about you? I'd give it a B. I'm probably a bit more generous and I'm I'm a lot more optimistic about Yulmaz. Um, it, it's a it's a B in terms of the quality of players that we brought in, but there's serious questions to be asked about what our priorities were during that window because it's the midfield has always needed addressed um, before anything else. The fact that we have not done so is a dereliction of duty. And uh, Eddie, um, what, what would you grade it? And, and by the way, Eddie, just, just before we uh, go on, I, I, I don't want to depress the Rangers fans anymore, but I was actually looking at Andreas Skov Olsen and his statistics since he signed for Club Bruges. Um, and he signed for Club Bruges for £5 million, which is just about how much we paid for... Ben Davis or Gilmans, um and uh, I think it's eight goals and 13 assists uh, since January. Um, and the reason I bring him up is surely that is a game-changing signing that needs to be made in January. 
So, on your first point, I would give it a C at the moment. Um, like you say, the only one really kind of setting the world on fire to an extent is Cholak. But overall, the only ones I see starting is uh, Davies is a, an obvious improvement in the centre-back when he's fit. Um, Lawrence, I'm not going to overly rate. Yeah, from the initial view, he would be a starter. But, you know, again, that's early days. So I'm not even going to count him at the moment. And then Cholak's a starter. But again, that is a lot of that down to the fact that Alfie came back unfit, came back, um, well, he was still injured, wasn't he? Um, and has a bit of a poor attitude. So if it had been Alfie from two years ago, would Cholak have been starting these games and would he started? Probably not. So, in fact, the only one who would be a regular starter when fit at the moment would be Davies. And to spend the money that we did spend bringing in seven players and only have one who is probably the starter in a, a kind of fully fit, fully firing squad, it's not a great bit of business. So I'd give it a C. Scott Olsen would be a great signing. Um, obviously, there's been lots of Twitter rumours about him over the years. I'll I'll not criticise the club for not signing him because nothing never really came from the the club to say we were interested in him. Even the the kind of usual in the know, if you will, people yeah, never really done. leaked anything to say we were definitely in for him. But I just project that, you know, I yeah, think yeah. my point here is not that um, we should go out and sign a Scovolson type player as much as that would be great because that is what's required. My point purely is how can guys with spreadsheets on Twitter be doing a better job identifying a player than Ross Wilson, whose actual job, and he'll be paid in the hundreds of thousands per year, he uh, seems to be failing so badly at it. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. But then he, he went last... Did he not go last January, though, to Bruges, or did he go in the summer? I can't yeah, remember. He went last January. Then. Yeah, so uh, do, I, don't, I don't think we had the money then. But you're saying you don't have the money, but at the end of the day, you, you take calculated gambles. Why did we calculate? Uh, sorry, why did we take a calculated gamble on Aaron Ramsey when the accounts have come out and it appears that we paid in the region of three million pounds for six months for him? When if we paid two million pounds more for for a Scott Wilson type, you, we would get more out. Um, and and I'm saying that he would have probably get injured and would have been out for then, six. Yeah, probably. But then two million at that point is a lot of money to us. That's nearly double. Like, you know, it's all well and good t- saying take the calculated gamble, but if if you don't have the money to take the calculated gamble, well, again, I have to come in and remind you that we sold Nathan Patterson for twelve million. So, but you also frequently remind me that we take that in massive installments, like a, a large number of installments. So, so the, surely the 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 logical approach here would be to get a, an installment deal for a, a top class midfielder like Scott Wilson. I know, but well, the, Chris, the club, uh, the club that uh, Scott Olsen came from, have their own Chris Bet, who says now we shouldn't be taking instalments. Well, it's also probably worth pointing out that Chris, your source on this is a football manager, so I'm not, <laughs> well, I can't guarantee that it's definitely true. You know, it's it's it's, it's pretty it's pretty accurate. I, I, I know for a fact that it's pretty accurate. Um, it's uh, I wouldn't name drop anybody, but I know that the the structured deal for. Nathan Patterson is over the length of his contract we, we asked uh, with Everton, which is over five years. Um, the only money we will get up front in significant portion is his is his uh, bonus related um, clauses. 
um, which will be obviously after he makes a certain amount of appearances and uh, and whatnot, we, we will get that money up front. But over the over the piece, um, I'm pretty confident that when it comes to this time next year, and we're discussing this, and it's in the accounts that we actually don't have twelve million pounds from a transfer fee for Nathan Patterson. I, I won't be. I told you so. I'll just be quietly. Uh, Raising a fist and getting out of you, so um, yeah, I, no, I'll, I'll believe that when I see it, mate. Hi, <laughs> no, it's, listen, it, it's it's not been great the transfer business at all. Um, and we can combine that with the contract business, the depreciation of assets. We look at who's out a contract, um, getting into this summer. Um, the big ones, the big cattles are Ryan Kent, Alfredo Morelos, Ryan Jack, Philip Palando. Now, the only one of those four that we've actually been told, really, uh, well, not really been told, but it's sort of been kind of communicated to us that is close to signing a new contract is Ryan Jack. Now, I love Ryan Jack. Anybody who knows me knows how much I love Ryan Jack. But if you're giving me four guys, Kent, Morelos, Hollander, Jack, Jack's third priority, Hollander's fourth, the top two priority are Brian Kent and Alfredo Morelos, regardless of their form, because at the end of the day, they're shit out of form. But I think Ryan Kent hasn't been shit out of form, actually. We're going to come on to Ryan Kent, but I think Ryan Kent said it a lot. He's got it a, a lot tighter than he should have got it this season, but certainly Alfredo Morelos is bang out of form, but we know what he's capable of. I'd rather Morelos sign a new contract and then we sold him uh, this summer for just say five million quid than losing for nothing. I'd rather Ryan Kent sign a new contract than we sell him for five million quid than losing for nothing in January. Um because essentially those two guys are the only assets we have now. Um we can look at Cholak and say, yeah, he's 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 bang on form. We might be able to flip him for double the money, but if you're doubling your money in Cholak, you're talking about three and a half, four million. You're not really making that much of a profit, especially with his age. Uh young Maz, that's a risk. He he might end up doubling or trebling on money but at the same time we may end up the rumour is we may end up putting them back to Turkey for the same amount that we brought them in Tillman we don't own Suter we're not going to make money on Davis we're not going to make money on purely because of his age Matondo he's get you know he's get £250,000 to Bristol City written all over him um, Glenn Kamara is an asset you could possibly say um, and, and in actual fact Glenn Kamara is probably the only asset we actually have now because um, the rest are, are, are ageing rapidly and declining rapidly and and form and the approach to this I do not understand. Ross Wilson is on record saying that he's very very comfortable with the current contract situation. He said that at the AGM last year. Ross Wilson has said that sorry not Ross Wilson it was John Bennett said that the last pillar we need in terms of income to the club is a player trading model. The player trading model doesn't work if you don't have anybody to sell. And the people that we're bringing in that we're going to look to flip in two or three years' time are not good enough yet. So, yeah, we've had a massive uprise in terms of that player trading model with Bassey, Aribo and Patterson, but it looks like we're going back into regression where the player trading model will be redundant for the next two or three years. That's the way it's looking. Um, and the only guy to sign a new contract this season is Robbie McCrory, who is our third-choice goalkeeper. Is Andrew? Is there any logic to this contract situation? Because as far as I can see, it, there, there is zero logic at all. Because Kent and Morelos should be the priority. Kent and Morelos should not be um, one month away or two months away from talk for, for being allowed to talk to other teams. 
um, and, and leaving for free. And as far as I can see, after getting to Europa League final and then winning the Scottish Cup, you're riding the, cra- uh, you're riding the, the crest of a wave. You're wanting more positive news coming out of Ibrox than negative. The best thing that Rangers could have done the minute we lifted that Scottish Cup was go, there's a five-year contract for Kent, there's a five-year contract for Manel. So both signed up. We would have done into the summer buzzing. But instead, we got contracts for Stephen Davis, Scott Arfield and Alan McGregor. Right. This is not something I'm going to do lightly, but I will defend Ross Wilson slightly. You can only... Get him out, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I edit this podcast. All that swearing and shouting at me will be edited out. Um, Look, you can only get players sign up to a new contract if they want to sign a new contract. Um, Andrew, I'm going to literally going to have to stop you just as you're starting this point. Why cool. were they not, okay? Why were they not sold? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm I am going to get to that point, Chris. Um, if you'll allow me to talk for for longer than 15 seconds, you know, I, I might I might I might develop my sentence here a bit, you know. Um, so you you're you're only in position to have a player sign up for a new contract if they will sign the new contract, but. If Morelos and Kent are refusing to sign up to a new contract, then we should have been making strong efforts to get them sold over that summer window. I think, to be honest, we we might have been in a position to sell Kent. Morelos, given that he was injured, that's less likely, but it's still possible. Rangers seem to sign injured players all the time, so surely some other clubs must do it as well. Um, the The thinking behind a lot of our transfer activity has looked bizarre it's certainly opaque in terms of what our strategy is as we've talked about previously the midfield has needed to be addressed for at least three seasons it feels like at this point um lundstrom's the only new player that's come into that that's that's been successful and even at that you could say he's been inconsistent certainly this season um so we we are in a position where we don't really know what the strategy is meant to be the player trading model only works if you're continually developing those new assets. If we're saying that Glenn Kamara is our only viable asset at the moment that we could sell and get by without, then we're in a heap of trouble. I I don't think you can be looking at selling Cholak because of his age. I don't think you can be looking to sell someone like Yilmaz this early on because you know, what What kind of market does that get you into? We bought him for five million quid. Are we saying we're going to double that money? I, I think that's unlikely based on, you know, the limited appearances he's made so far. So we don't have assets. So the player training model doesn't exist. So far, we've just had a windfall where we've been successful over two windows where we've had Nathan Patterson and then the Bassey and Rebo sales as well. So we are, we do not have what looks like from the outside, at least, uh, a solid, well-thought-out transfer strategy. The AGM's coming up on December 6th. Um, as you said, Chris, last season, um, we were talking about how we were comfortable with the contract situation and we felt good about how things were looking. I will be genuinely surprised if they try and play the same line uh, this year. Yeah, I'm inclined. I hate this podcast, to be honest, because far too often I'm saying I'm inclined to agree with you, Chris. And we know I don't really like to agree with you if I can avoid it. But you're absolutely right. Um, Ross Wilson coming out at AGMs and saying he's completely comfortable with the contract situation 
when he allowed Goldson to run his down to the last minute. And yes, we did eventually sign him on to a new contract, but let's not act like that was a given up until the last minute. I think we kind of lucked out there. To be honest, Goldson himself even said it was a last minute thing for him. He was considering everything. So I yeah. would, I would, um, I would class that as we were very lucky with that one. Yeah, if we hadn't had that kind of brilliant European run and then managed to overcome the final with a victory at Hamden and really kind of give Goldson them moments at the last kind of few weeks, I don't think we sign him on long term. So we were very fortunate there. And then to allow two players who, let's be honest, are our biggest sellable assets in that first team squad to allow them to be in the situation where in a few weeks they're going to be able to speak to people about signing for them for free is just ridiculous. And and to say you're happy with that kind of strategy is baffling to me, absolutely baffling. What would you say is the grade for the contract situation, Eddie? Again, a massive fail. If we're saying C is a fail, then a C. Yeah, um, and Andrew? Yeah, no, that's a C. Um, I was fully expecting a B there because you're such a bold <laughs> captain. Well, yeah, obviously, I, I always defend this board because they make such good decisions all the time, so it's easy to defend them, obviously. Um, no, I mean, it, it's a clear failure because, like I said, player trading model only exists if you're continually developing those assets, making sure that you have assets tied up on contracts so that they are saleable assets, and then you have that conveyor belt. We don't have that at the moment. We don't have saleable assets, realistically. You know, if we're saying Glenn Kamara is our asset, who the fuck wants to buy Glenn Kamara right now, you know? So... We'll move on to one of the bigger talking points for the season so far, which is the list of injuries. Now, this is just players who are currently injured. Um, the list has actually been longer than this or had more on it than this um, at, at one point or another. So currently injured is Yanis Hadji. Philip Hollander, John Souter, Connor Goldson, Tom Lawrence, Namdi Offerbaugh, Kamal Roof, Fashion Sakala, Red Van uh, Yolans. That's the current injury um, injury list at Ibrox at the moment. Yanis Hadji is close to returning. Philip Hollander, we probably won't see him play for Rangers again, which is just really, really unfortunate because I actually do believe that he is probably still our best defender. But listen, the correct thing for Hollander is to let him go, but we'll probably give him a four-year contract, let's be honest. Suter, we're told, is back. Goldson, we're told, will be back. Um, Lawrence, hopefully close. Off the bar, don't know. Roof, waste of time. Sakala, won't be long. Yelmaz, won't be long. Out of all these players, um, all but, I reckon, two, and Hollander and Goldson, were signed by Ross Wilson. Um, we lost Dr Mark Waller in the summer. He joined Leicester. Now, I'm told that the recruitment process to replace Mark Waller was just an absolute clusterfuck. Stuart Robertson... Um, Surely not. Surely we got the best in class. Well, well, this is it. This is what I was. This is what I've been told, and and, and the, the person who told me, I, I trust hundred um, percent. Stuart Robertson vetoed the promotion for the B team doctor um, to the the first team. We then had a recruitment process for a new doctor, um, and we weren't really getting what we were wanting. And guess who Ross Wilson recommended for the role? The B team doctor. Um, so that sort of shows you 
where we're at in terms of disalignment. There is no strategy here. Now, are you going to tell me that this is bad luck? I don't think it is. You look at Goldson, you look at Lawrence, you look at Sakala, you look at Yilmaz. Those players are all out with muscle injuries. Now, I get Haji, right? That's just an unfortunate freak accident. I get awful ball. You know, we probably saved that boy's life. So you take the two out of the equation. I get Suter, he's broken. I get Hollander, he's broken. I get Roof, he's broken. But you look at the other players, their muscle injuries, that, that, that's, that's got to point to something that has gone wrong within the, the club. Um, and Can you imagine how much worse it would be if we didn't have a partnership with a company like BioWave? I know, I know. It's 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 just look. I don't think this is something that we need to talk about um, in any in any depth. All we all, all I'm kind of looking for you two guys is look. Do you think there's more to this, or do you think our luck is just bang out? Um, Andrew, I'll start with you. Right. So the theory is that this kind of stuff balances itself out over the course of the season. So I think second half of the season we're expecting you know the entire Celtic team's kneecaps to explode all our players come back and be in flying form. I mean, there's a combination, right? I don't think it's just one or the other. I think we have been unlucky with injuries. Um, but equally, the team looks much less fit than it has done um, for a good number of seasons. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, we have players who are trying to do potentially what they have been doing previously, but they are finding that their bodies are unable to do that. And I don't know if that's down to the preseason or if it's down to what we're doing in training, but the team has looked shit out of form in terms of its fitness. Um, you combine that with the fact that we are picking up all these muscle injuries. I, I don't think the two are unrelated. So, yeah, it's. Um, I, I don't think it's clear cut as saying either one or the other. Either it's bad luck or, you know, something's wrong. I think it's it's both, unfortunately. <laughs> What would you rate it um, uh, if you're going to give it a kind of um, score on the, on, the, on the report card? A score in terms of how bad injuries are. Yeah. Then it's an A for how how bad it's been. It's been as bad as it probably could be, short of you know the start of the COVID season uh, when I mean, we had. Yeah, I've probably not been clear in terms of <laughs> in, in terms of injuries we've had and how we've managed it. How we've managed injuries. Yeah, I, I, th- I think we've we dealt with it as well as we can. I, like I say, I think there's an element that's come on in terms of our preparation, um, in terms of the training that has that's contributed to this almost certainly. So, yeah, I, it's it's not a good thing. It's it's a C, obviously, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Eddie, quick word on it and a quick uh, score. The only word really I can. Probably, but is when you were talking about the the replacement for a doctor, and you said Ross Wilson eventually recommended someone. I was expecting you to say Doctor Evil, but overall, as a score, I would say it, it's got to be a C. You know what I mean, but it, it's in this one. To be fair, like I don't know if I can massively blame anyone at the club for this. This is just a Rangers historical thing. I think we've always handled injuries and and treatment. No, no, I think I think what you're saying there is is particularly true. But since we became a more modern football club, um, let's just say since Gerald arrived in the door, we became a proper modern day, um, 21st century football club. Eventually, we had the best 
um, sort of kind of facilities there um, for the players when it comes to recovery and recuperation. We had the best doctors, we had the best physiotherapists. Um, we, we, we genuinely did when Stephen Gerrard came. Genuinely were best in class. We genuinely will, you know. No, no, I know you're right. Like, but overall, that's what four years out of the 151 years now. Like, it's an outlier. We should have built on it, and we should have been able to keep them standards, but we didn't. We we let them drop again, and we're back to being the Rangers um, injury club that we've we've all known and loved for years and years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. Setting to the last point, um, again, this will just be fairly quick. Um, this is kind of more concerning, maybe Geo, maybe individuals as well. The form of the the important players, I've picked uh, five players here. I've picked Glenn Kamara, James Tavernier, John Lundstrom, Alfredo Morelos and Ryan Kent. Um, it's not exclusive to them. I think more have let us down. Um, some of the new signings, um, some of the old guard, I, I think, um, that, that were already there weren't particularly great either. Um, but I think these are... Certainly for me, the five underperformers, Kamara, I really do not know what is up with him. Um, I just don't know. There, there was rumours of a rift and it was quickly quashed by Kamara's lawyer, rightly or wrongly. Um, I, I, I wasn't I wasn't displeased about that, as, as maybe somewhere. Um, uh, James Tavernier comes down to this thing again. People are saying he's injured, but Tav's saying he's not. The manager's saying he's not. So what one is it? You're either injured Tav or you're really shit out of form. Um, and to be fair to Tav, the last couple of weeks, I thought he was actually playing okay. But certainly the weeks prior to that, he was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, no, sorry, that's a bit harsh. It wasn't ridiculous, but it was very, very poor. Um, John Lundstrom, um, I mentioned, you know, this guy, you know, is playing his level now, which is fine. Or he was playing above his level for the last three, four months of last season. It's either one or the other. He's either he is either that good, or he is either this average. Um, and I think it's looking like the latter because when you remember his start at Rangers, this is very there's parallels there between his current form and his start at Rangers, and he had that what I would now call a purple patch. And I hope I'm wrong because I like Lundstrom, um, but I feel he's been. As much as I probably get the adjective wrong there for Tav, I would actually describe Lundstrom's form this season as pathetic. I really would, as harsh as that may be, but I just I just do not see it this season at all. Um, I see a guy who's more interested in trying to impose himself, but is unable to do so, and it's quite embarrassing, to be honest with you, um, especially when we've seen his technical level can be much better than his physical level, um, and I would rather he focused on that. Um, again, might be overly harsh, you might disagree, but that's how I see it. Morelos, a disgrace. Um, listen, I've, I've tried to defend Morelos so many times this year, but uh, it's got to the point now where it, you just can't defend them, and it probably is best now to let them go. Uh, a genuine Rangers um, uh, history maker. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm not quite comfortable using the word legend, but certainly you can't argue with his record in terms of he's the highest ever goal scorer in Europe, and, and he's He's given Rangers just as much as Rangers have gave him. It's been a very mutual partnership there, and um, it's sad to see it peter out like this. Um, I would love the wee guy to sign, sign up for life in a five-year deal next week and and for him to turn it around. But in order to do that, he's got a lot to do. He's got a lot of work to do to turn this around, and I just feel now I'm ready to accept that Alfredo Morelos 
is not the type of guy who's willing to put that work in to turn his career around. And sadly, not only his Rangers career looks like to be petering out, I think his actual career will peter out. Um, and we probably, when he does leave, not hear much about him. But do you know something? I hope I'm... I've never wanted to be so wrong in all my life because I, I, I do feel he can possibly be salvageable, but it's all down to Morelos and that's where it falls down to me. Um, it's not going to be a case of Giovanni Van Bronckhorst needs to do something to help him. It needs to come from Morelos and that's how I don't think that it will happen. Ryan Kent, um, listen, his form this year has been patchy and he's had it probably worse than anybody this year. Uh, but for me, I think that's really unfair. You see his output. The assists are there, yeah, the goals aren't there, that is always a, a concern, but the output is there in terms of assists. The effort um, is always there with Ryan Kent. I, I really don't understand when people give him a hard time for a lack of effort. I just never see it. His work rate is always one of his key attributes for me. Definitely salvageable, definitely somebody I'd love to stay at the club, and I hope he does, um, because, listen, Ryan Kent doesn't get it easy for Rangers, uh, from the Rangers fans. <laughs> People just completely dismiss the fact that every game he comes into, there's two around him. You've seen it from the elite um, uh, tactics board in the Ibrox away dressing room um, from Livingston. David Martindale said, have two on him at all time. Don't let him cut in. That's what happens week in, week out. And do you know what we can help with that? Somebody on the right wing that can actually do the exact same as him. So, again, that's a, that's a failure upon Rangers. So, they're the kind of five that I've pointed out, on, uh, pointed out with. Um, there, there probably is more that I've missed there, but they're the kind of five main ones. You could obviously look at the goalkeeping situation as well, but I, I don't think that's worth talking about because we know that is what it is. Um, so just very quickly, I'll come to you again, Eddie. Is this a problem that these guys are regressing because of Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's game plan, because of his tactics, because of his philosophy, or is this just a Rangers team in decline? You look at these guys, they're all getting a year older. Take Kamara and Kent out of it. Uh, you're, you're looking at Tav, Lundstrom and Morelos. Well, we could probably take Morelos out, but look at Tav and, and Lundstrom. Tav's style of play requires legs. They could be finally gone. Lundstrom, as I said, he's 28 now, 29. Um, did they just have a kind of Indian summer last year? I don't know. What do you think? I think it's probably a mix, if I'm honest. It's interesting, though, because in the summer we would have been waxing lyrical about how Gio and his team managed to bring players on, specifically Bassi, who in that kind of latter end of the season had a real purple patch. And we, we put it all down to the, the management team and how much they brought him through. But then on the on the flip side, we've got this kind of half of the season where we rightly said there's so many top performers have just regressed. I think it's... Morelos, I think, is his own attitude problem, as you've touched on, so I don't think we can massively blame Gio for that, although there's an argument to be made that we ran him into the ground last season, and that's probably contributed to it. Kent, I just think, is out of form. Kent's very much uh, when things are going well, everything's going well, and when things aren't going well, he, he, he almost tries too hard and then finds himself in a difficult position trying to force things out of and they just don't go his way and then the more he tries the worse he gets the more pressure he puts on himself and I, I think he just puts too much pressure on himself to try and put the whole team on his back you're right his work for me his work rate can never be questioned if anything it, for me it's just sometimes he needs to take a moment and just relax and kind of let his natural game flow instead of trying to force it so much 
Tav, you, again, is he injured? Is he not injured? Well, he certainly looked injured. We've seen him wincing in, in warm-ups. And if he's not injured, then his form just really is out. And yeah, it might be that he's getting a year older. But it almost feels like he, from where he was last season to where he is at this moment in time, massive pulls apart. So I would almost, not that I want him to be injured, but prefer it's a case of him being injured rather than he's just dropped that dramatically in such a short period of time. And again, with Lundstrom, I don't think it's, I don't think he's done. I don't think he's declining. I just think it's the style of play for him. I do think it is around Gio and the team, same with Kamara and the tactics or lack thereof. I think Lundstrom has a very specific role and we're just not playing to that strength just now. I think Kamara is the same. He He's very much a complementary um, player in a kind of flat three midfield. And Gio's kind of tried to shoehorn him into that attacking midfielder, which worked last season. And it seems to work from when he's played it for Finland. But for whatever reason, it's not really kind of worked when he's played it this season with us. And then when we're trying to get him to sit back a bit, he's not clicking. He just hasn't got that kind of flat three where they can all interchange. And I, I just think that's kind of his problem. So Lundstrom and Kamara, I'm going to say their regressions down to the management team. Tav likely injury, Morelos attitude, Kent, I just think it's one of them things, he'll bounce back and he'll have a, a good game and everything will look rosy again and I think he'll hit a good bit of form And uh, score? I'll give it a B I, I, I don't want to give it quite a C because I don't think it's entirely down to, to Gio and the team, so I'll give it a B Andrew, uh, a word and a score please, all the, the form issues yeah, I mean, it's a mixed bag, right? Kamara has always been a player who I think can drop out of games quite easily. I, I think he, he's not been in particularly great form, not just this season, but the season prior as well. Um, Tav and Lundstrom both, I think, Tav, as, as you said, Chris, either injured or he's shit out of form. And hell, it could be a combination of both, right? Lundstrom, I think, admitted on a podcast um, that he had been playing through an injury as well. Um, so, you know, we've got players who either can't be rested because they're so important, which is a reflection on the transfer business, as we discussed. Um, and then Morelos and Kent. Morelos hasn't been the same player coming back. Um, if anything, he seems to have reverted back to the bad old Alfie. Um, but the Hibs game was, I think, a line for, for a lot of fans because it was the stupidest thing he could have done in that situation. Kent, I think, suffers because we ask him to do a lot for the team. Tav falls into that same bucket where, unfortunately, the, the most perceptible part of our play right now is give the ball to Tav or Kent and hope they do something magic with it. Um, far too often, our play comes down to that. And when you're relying on those two players and those two players aren't able to deliver for whatever reason, the team as a whole suffers. So I, I think I'll, I'll go with Iddy's rating. I'll go with a B um, because I think it is a mixed bag situation. Some of it is out with of the manager's control. Some of it is within the manager's control because it comes down to style of play. So, yeah, I'll go with the B. OK, 
incredible generous, I have to say. Um, I think that just comes back to, and I'm not criticising either of you guys, but I just think that comes back to the players seem to um, get it far less than the guy that we're going to round up with, which is, of course, Gio. Um, Listen, just a brief brief discussion, um, because we've been on here now for quite a while, so if you're still with us, well done. Um, but Giovanni Van Bronckhorst has been on a job for a year, and look, Let's talk about the positives. Let's let's talk about the fact how will history judge Giovanni van Bronckhorst if he was to leave tomorrow? A Europa League final, done in style, probably better style. In fact, definitely in better style than than um, than two thousand and eight. I don't think there's any question about that. I think there's more moments in that run than than we had in two thousand eight. Not to take anything away from two thousand and eight because both of them were unexpected, but. I will have far more fonder memories of the Seville run than I did the Manchester run. And and I will be forever grateful to Gio for that because it was so, so unexpected. Um, Genuinely, after 2008, I thought I would never see Rangers in a European final again. And not only did we get there, but we're literally one or two kicks of a ball away from immortality. And people forget about that. And I think that that shouldn't be forgotten. Um, Scottish Cup win. First time in 12 years, uh, done in style again, have to beat Celtic, who were going for a treble. Let's not forget about that. Um, and he succeeded in there. Uh, he succeeded there where, let's be honest, Stephen Gerrard was a catastrophic failure when it came to domestic trophies. Um, so we had that kind of particular monkey offered back. So that has to be another positive. Um, you look at the three player sales and... Uh, Calvin Bassey, Joe Aribo and Nathan Patterson almost £40 million off a talent under Gio's watch. I get the Aribo-Patterson thing really, it doesn't really deserve the credit there um, however the Calvin Bassey our record sale, that is purely all down to Gio um, so they're, they're the positives and if he was to leave tomorrow a 12 month spell in charge of Rangers and that's what he achieved I think I think history would be far more favourable favourable to the, the Giovanni van Bronckhorst reign than um, the more kind of recent um, expressions of dissatisfaction um, not that they're not unjustified because because they are we're, we're coming on to that now so he arrived and by the way I have to say this uh, that, this really really annoys me Giovanni van Bronckhorst did not inherit a six-point lead. Giovanni van Bronckhorst inherited a three-point lead. It was actually Giovanni van Bronckhorst that made it a six-point lead. Um, in actual fact, it was a four-point lead, uh, I beg your pardon, because Celtic, dro- uh, Celtic dropped points at um, St Mirren. Uh, a Covid hit St Mirren, and then we, won- we then won, so we then extended our lead to six points. Um, so the, the six-point narrative uh, is wrong. It was actually four points, but I still get the point. Um, the, 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 it's still um, essentially the same point, but it was, it was Van Bronckhorst that got it to that six-point gap, and then there was a collapse. And from that collapse, domestically, we have just not recovered. We we gave up the league um, when we were in a very strong position. Has to be cavited by Celtic's unbelievable consistency, as I mentioned. And then this year, after getting to Europa League final, winning the Scottish Cup, selling three massive assets, and then getting a quarter of that income on a, the, the team in replacements. For me, he's not been backed, and uh, he will feel rightly aggrieved about that. However, that's his issue. Um, a strong manager fights 
to be backed and doesn't essentially become a yes man, which I think Gio unfortunately is. Um, and that has reflected upon the playing squad this year, where we are so far off it, and it does look as if Celtic are going to get that league title again, and that is on Gio. Um, and that is why there's such unrest, coupled with the fact that the playing style, we don't have any clear identity uh, in, in what we're trying to do. There is no clear philosophy. There's been a regression in form, fitness. Um, so I understand why there is many, many people now on the duo bandwagon. And I have to say, I'm probably there as well. I think it's probably time for a change because rather than looking for green shoots of positivity, um, in my opinion, it's going to get worse under Gio. I can't see where it's going to get better. I can't even see to the players coming back that's going to help the situation because I think that the negative style of play is so ingrained now within the Giovanni Van Bronckhorst Rangers uh, reign that it's just going to continue and it probably will take a new man to come in and refresh things. However, uh, in a completely unrelated point, I still feel that a good six or seven Rangers careers should be over by next summer. Um, the players should not get away with us. We've seen this far too often from these players. It's not the first time they've done it. This is now the fourth time in five years that these players have done this. Albeit this collapse is a wee bit more early than the, the, the normal post-break collapse, but at the end of the day, the, they've got this in them. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm fed up with that now. I, I, I would rather the players left before Geo, but I know that that's not possible in modern football. So, on the whole, the Geo reign, um, I'm going to be more favourable to it. Um, one year on the job, I'm definitely going to give him a B. As much as people will go, what the fuck you thought about it, it's definitely a C. We're terrible, we're horrible. I think you need to take the Europa League, the Scottish Cup, and the the Bassey uh, transfer and the fact that we lost a Reborn Parson as well, who, let's let's face it, those three guys would be massive to this, this, this team at the moment. If we still had those three guys, we wouldn't be in the position we're in currently. Uh, so that that's where I see it. Um, Eddie, what, what, how, how do you rate the, the 12 months of Gio? I'm a few. I'm, I'm a B on it. Um, I think last season's collapse, I don't blame Geo for at all because that was this squad doing what this squad does. 55 was the outlier for them. They've always collapsed after Christmas apart from that one year but that's because they were so far ahead at that point that, that they didn't feel any pressure. Um, this, obviously the, the Europa League run was amazing um, and he won a Scottish Cup, something that we hadn't won for a long time. So his first kind of six months or half a season in charge deserves um, some credit and then for the negatives I'm not going to overly blame him the negatives for this season the, the Champions League campaign and where we're at in the league I think he does have to take a large share of it again not all of it because again this squad doing what this squad does although you know there's been a lot of injuries as well but you're right there's no kind of real sense of identity to the team I, I took my boss up for the Aberdeen game and although we won 4-1 he was sitting there throughout the game saying like he's a, a winning but I, I I don't see what you're trying to play I, I don't I can't see what the the plan is for this team what type of football you're trying to play how are you trying to attack the game it just seems to be a go out there and kind of hit and hope situation so overall 
it's not great. Um, it's terrible right now, but in the grand scheme of a year, it hasn't been terrible the whole time. There's been a lot of highs, there's been a lot of lows, so a B, I think, is fair. Andrew? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with the consensus there. I mean, you know, the, the issue that we've got right now is that for Gio's faults, which I, I think he can, he, he does have some faults as a manager. I think he's inconsistent in the league. Um, I, I don't put the collapse in the league squarely at his feet. Um, I agree with Eddie that this squad that we have, and it is this squad because it's not been particularly well refreshed over the past few seasons, um, has a tendency to collapse after Christmas. Um but Gio has been inconsistent still in terms of his style of play. He is a better cup manager. Um, we've seen that in certainly in the Europa and in the in the Scottish Cup run. Um, I, I think he's he's better focused for that. Um, he's he's not the only issue. If if we uh, go through the list of people who are responsible for the issues that we find ourselves in right now, it does not stop and start with Gio there are issues with players, there are issues with the transfer strategy, and there are issues in terms of how generous this board wants to be in terms of investing into this club's future. So there are issues all over the place. I don't think that, well, regardless of what the three of us think, right, I think at this point it is unlikely that Gio is going anywhere this window. I think he will still be in post, um, post this break. Um, but I think if that's the case, if Gio's staying, then this board have got to pull their fingers out and they have to back him seriously in January. We need to buy a fucking midfielder, please, please, please. Um, and the rest of the positions, I think, will sort themselves out in terms of returning players from injury. And we'll have a look at the goalkeeping situation come the summer. But if this manager is to be successful, then he needs support from elsewhere in this club. I don't know if that will happen, but well, if he is to be successful, that's what's got to happen. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head, Andrew. I think if um, the board are going to keep him in the job, then show us how serious you are about it and back him. Because you're either all in or you're kicking the can down the road. Um, and I suggest that it probably will be kicking the can down the road. But do you know what? Earn the respect to the Rangers fans that you are rapidly losing and back the guy in January. And yeah, I get that the guys who are making the transfer decisions are the same guys who have signed a Rabbi Matondo, etc. But let's let's see some serious um intent. Um we know that yeah, we've not got a pot of gold there, but we know there is some money there. Um certainly enough to try and uh, change our fortunes on the field. So if they're gonna keep him on a job, back him, don't hang him out to dry, because there is an element of that. There is an element of Geo has been hung out to dry. But Having said that, I, I, I do feel it will get worse um, regardless. And and that is why uh, I'm pleased to announce that this podcast going forward will be a pro-Kevin Muscat podcast, uh, podcast. That's really difficult to say. Um, <laughs> no, really in your own time, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really, um, Just say it five times fast, Chris. You know, it's a real treat. The, 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 Kevin, the Kevin Muscat propaganda will be ramped up over the next coming weeks um, because it's uh, my fucking podcast and I've told all the guys to be, you know, on the Kevin Muscat bandwagon. He's all joining me, is that right? Yeah. There's no other guys you want other than Kevin Muscat. Saying that Eddie's probably on the what do you call the guy? The nutsin um bandwagon. You chat a bit more sexy. 
No, why would I? Why would I be on that? Just to purely disagree with me. I t- no, no, I told you who I want. Oh, and I'm not even going to fucking mention that. <laughs> Rob Page. Right, okay. Um, so, sorry, how many times has Kevin Mascot got Wales to a World Cup? Well, <laughs> exactly. You've absolutely stumped me there. Um, no, but listen, it's, uh, it's it's very damning that we've been doing a report card on the kind of league campaign, the transfers, the injuries, the contracts, the forms, and Geo itself, and the kind of one shining light at all. This is the League Cup. <laughs> so that's, that's where we're at. You know what I mean? Um, things need to improve drastically, and let's hope they do. Um, listen, it's been a long one. Thanks very much, Eddie. Um, it's it's been, been a pleasure to have you back. And well, obviously, over the World Cup and certainly when Rangers return from the World Cup there'll be more uh, podcast release but obviously um, it may be kind of intermittently between now and Rangers return but I, I look forward to catching up with you No thanks for uh, hosting it's been good to get back on and back recording I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do with this network and mm-hmm. hopefully the shows going forward won't quite be so depressive No exactly Exactly. Um, and Andrew, uh, thanks again, mate. Um, obviously, you're producing it. Um, you're the kind of the brains behind the, the the operation here in terms of the whole network. Um, and a lot of the work that will be done over the next couple of months and hopefully the next couple of years will be uh, eminent from the, the, the magic of your fingertips. Well, we'll see, mate. You know, I'll do what I can. Um, I'm glad New Era with. Yeah, we're keeping the podcasts nice and trim, so you know, just under two and a half hours now, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm glad we've learned and progressed on that front. But no, uh, in all seriousness, I'm looking forward to this. Um, it's it's been uh, a learning curve, you know, being free of a big network and getting to do our own thing. Um, I advise folk to subscribe, do all the things that all the other podcasts tell you to do. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, uh, give us glowing reviews, f- flood us with praise, all that stuff. To be um, honest, you don't even need to listen. Just make sure that you stick it on in the background somewhere, check your phone away, with, just, you'll turn just down, as long as, as, long as but, we get the figures. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're just shouting out the void there because surely they wouldn't hear that message there, idea. Well, no, because they, they've stayed this long and now they've realised that actually the best thing to do going forward is to stick our five-hour <laughs> podcasts on somewhere where they don't have to listen. <laughs> yeah, true. It's relaxing background noise, right? So, you know, um, like I said, we'll, we'll have uh, not just this podcast. Obviously, it's going to increase in frequency once uh, we're back up in terms of the league. We'll be looking at um, both previewing and then reviewing those games. We'll have some longer form things, you know, because obviously we don't go to particularly long form generally. Um, and as I said, we'll have uh, some uh, some treats from the archive as well as whose team is it anyway, um, which um, we'll start uh, releasing soon. So, um, yeah, uh, keep an eye out, I think, every Saturday at three, because that's the way it's meant to be. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love it. Um, as I said at the start of the show, we're on Spotify, Apple, and Twitter, um, we will eventually go on to Facebook. We do have a website in progress. Um, just support us in any way you can. We have a few irons in the fire, hopefully a few treats coming up, um, a few names that you will know. Uh, hopefully we'll be on the podcast as well. Um, and just just keep supporting us as best you can. As I said, we're purely asking for um, a quantitative support rather than a financial qualitative support so that's that's all we that's all we require certainly at the moment and uh, and i know that we will have um 
enough support there going forward for us to continue doing this. Um, but listen, Eddie, Andrew, thanks very much. Thanks to the listeners if you got to this far and uh, join us on the next podcast. I can't actually say when it will be, but it probably will be, as Andrew said, it's Saturday at 3.